0: Today's guest is Dr. Bill Sutton. It's a special episode for me because Dr. Sutton was one of my mentors at the University of Central Florida when I was getting into the sports industry. Dr. Sutton is the principal at Bill Sutton & Associates and director emeritus of the VINIC program at the University of South Florida. He also served as vice president of team marketing and business operations at the National Basketball Association, working directly with Commissioner David Stern. He also writes a monthly column at the Sports Business Journal. He is regarded as one of the world's leading voices in the sports marketing industry, having decades of experience in academia and the private industry. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sutton. Dr. Sutton, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. It's so great to uh, reconnect with you. It's been a couple of years, but uh, it's, all, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to talk with, uh, with someone like you, and I know others will, will enjoy our conversation.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So you are, you know, you're considered one of the top sport marketing minds in, in the world. You know, you've been both in academia, you've been, you've you have the the private industry experience. Let's just take a, take a high picture view of it, right? Like when you look back at your career, what are the things that you've carried with you so far? Like what are the things that you look back on the good and the bad? It's interesting since I'm 71. Now I do a lot of reflecting.
1: And so, uh, I think one of the things I look back on is this, the most recent job at USF where I had a chance to create a program. And I never knew I wanted to do that. I never, you know, I was at UCF. I was content. I thought I would end up retiring at UCF. And then the chance to go and create a program, my mantra was Tampa is our classroom. And I wanted to take advantage of everything that was in Tampa. And then I had two other goals. One was student placement and student debt. So we created this residency program and the students would go to school all day Tuesday, all day Thursday. And then they'd work Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the lightning for the bucks for the sports commission for the athletic department whatever it was, right? That would pay their tuition in the second year, so they'd only pay tuition for one year. And when they left, they'd have a year's experience, that would be their internship as well. So they'd work they'd have it done before they left. And so it worked out that we had 100% placement for seven years. And that's, I'm real proud of that. I'm proud of that as anything I've ever done.
0: I mean, I went through that grind at, at UCF, but uh, I will say that that's, a, that's a different model. I mean, right? Totally different model. And, and uh, one of the things I was, you know, I saw a lot of things at UCF.
1: And, you know, Rich, Rich had a vision of what he wanted to do, and I supported his vision. But when I had a chance, and, and the Lightning really recruited me. The Lightning went to the university when to start the program. It was their model. And I just fell into it and expanded on it. You know, they were going to offer me 10 positions for second year students to work every year. And then I knew if I was going to have 30 students, I needed 30 positions. So we went out and got the 30 positions and it was great. I mean, I've, I I really enjoyed it. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done. And, you know, I, I tell everybody, I said, you know, I've done a lot of great things in my life. had a lot of fun things I've done. But there's probably nothing more satisfying than have have helping a student start their career, yeah, and see that first job, and it's it just amazing. It's just unbelievable.
0: So, you know, for the listeners, I gotta say, when I saw that you were leaving UCF, it was a little bittersweet for me as a student because, uh, and I saw you were going to USF because immediately I knew that, you know, what you were going to start at USF, whatever it was, was going to be, you know, top notch, and I was like, man, UCF is losing. <laughs> <laughs> it's losing, so, it's losing something there, um, and, and you know, and 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 Dr. Lapchick did a great job of you know finding a replacement, I guess, if you will. But um, it, it's true what what you were able to accomplish at USF, and and you were there for about seven years, six seven years.
1: Was there for seven years, and we ended up when I left, we were the number this year. We we're the number three program in the U.S., number three in the world in the, right. in the rankings, and and I'm excited about that. And I had a really good succession plan. You know, I was going to stay for five years, Horatio, and then. You know, I told Mr. Vinnick, who is absolutely the most best owner I've ever seen in all sports. Uh, He has a heart bigger than Dr. Lapchick's, if you can believe that. I I told him, you know, when they hired me, they had a press conference in the press conference. I was on tape. I said everything I was going to set out to do. And I looked at Mr. Vinnick and I said, if I do all that in five years, I'm going to come back to you and ask you to name the program. So I did, he named the program and then I had agreed to stay for two more years to do a succession. But Horatio, you've never met anybody like Mr. Bennett. He's unbelievable. He gives away $50,000 of his own money every home game for a, chair, for a hero of the community. Wow. Like he would pick you and say, Horatio, you're a hero of the community for what you do. Here's $50,000. What 501-3C would you like to donate to this day? And so it goes out in your name to whoever the charities are that you that you vote on. That's every home game. Every home game. Wow. And he made his marker ratio when they were on the NHL lockout. He did it for every scheduled game, games that weren't even played.
0: He's just unbelievable. I've never met anybody like him. You don't hear about things like that. As a casual sports fan, I would never know that an owner does something like that. So with your experience in, in academia, you know, you, you started your own sport management program at USF, you know, you've also you had this high profile job, you're VP of marketing at the NBA. How do you balance that? Like being academia, working uh, you know, in the private industry. Were you always compelled to work in one or the other? And I know you just mentioned talking about, you know, being able to start people's careers. Like, did you always feel that pull where the most amount of, you know, satisfaction that you got personally and professionally was when you were working with students?
1: I'd say so. You know, I taught for eight. my first eight years of my career. I did four years at Robert Morris and four years at Ohio State. And after eight years, you know, I looked in the mirror one day and I said, you know, you advise all these students on how to get a job and how to do this and how to do that, but you've never done it. So I decided to take a time out and I took a job with a sport marketing company for three years. And during those three years, I learned that I knew a lot more than I thought I did. And I learned some more things. And then I decided I wanted to get back into teaching and the opportunity came to go to UMass. So I did that. And I was very, very happy. But then when I was at UMass, it kind of dawned on me that I like doing both, and so I coined the term pracademic. So I never consider myself an academic. I consider myself a pracademic, and a pracademic is somebody with one foot in both worlds, and tries to blend the industry with the classroom. And so when you know, and when I left UMass and went to the NBA, and it just dawned on me one day that I, I missed the academics too much, and what I should do is I should start my own consulting practice for my pracademic side. And go back into teaching. And that's when I went to UCF. And so when I was at UCF, when you were there, those little projects that we did, that was my way of bringing the industry into the classroom. You know, we call it experiential learning now. I don't know if I called it that then or not, but it was important. And, you know, it let us do some really interesting things like class trips and have projects and everything. So it was a great way to do it. And I think by the time I left UCF, we were doing four or five projects a year. And it was crazy, but I mean, it was fun. And I like the students got a lot out of it and they enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, that year and a half that I was at UCF was probably the best one and a half years, you know, of my life up to that point uh, mm-hmm. by far. I mean, just because of the way that the program was and just with the projects that you said, uh, the experience that we had, we had the partnerships with the Orlando Magic. You know, mm-hmm. and then we were also out in the community doing community service. we were just doing a bunch of different things. It, you're right it, it wouldn't be the same if if we were just in a classroom learning about some stuff that you know we had no clue about yeah. right we're we're out there doing it
1: and it was the whole thing i wanted you to be able to visualize what it would be like when you went out in the workforce What better thing to do cuz we you know they were they were people that graded us you know we had the industry people helping grade yeah. and that having that skin in the game gave you that realistic feeling that you were working for somebody not just doing your project for your professor, and that's what I always wanted the feeling to be.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I remember presenting a project in front of the the uh, president of operations for the Atlanta Hawks, um, and I remember I remember that vividly, and I remember the the relief when it was over, and then just feeling like a job <laughs> done, you know. I, and and then and then you know getting exposed to these other avenues after that. I want to talk to you a little bit about about your time at. Uh, at the NBA, you from yeah. um, uh, VP of marketing, and you worked under. Well, there's a, there's a whole different things, but what was that like? Okay, what was it like to work at the NBA at at the executive level? You started 2000, 2000, I think you left maybe two thousand six. Yeah. Was it like a pressure cooker? Was it something that you were just? It was like a fairy tale almost, or a little bit of both. A little bit of both. You
1: know, in the first year, I was on sabbatical from UMass, so I was I was like a glorified intern, but I was Commissioner Stern's intern. And so, you know, working for him, yes, it's high pressure um, because, you know, he has high standards. And I mean, I learned a lot of valuable lessons. Like I learned one of his mantras was no matter if it's good or bad, I need to know. And so, you know, that sounds easy, right? But when you have to deliver bad news to somebody that has a little bit of a temper, it's not always the most pleasant experience. So I learned how to live that mantra and deliver good news and bad news. And and that was a valuable lesson. And the way I describe my relationship with Horatio is I always had a bunch of ideas. And whenever I'd go into him with an idea, he would say, why? Why should I do that? And I have to sell it. And once I sold it to him, we would do it. And if it worked, like thank God it did most of the time, I gained more and more of his trust. So I went from having a why relationship with him to a why not relationship with him. Like whenever I'd propose something, he'd look at me and go, why not go do it? And so, you know, we, it was a great learning experience for me and it was, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of raised eyebrows that a professor was coming in there doing this work and what did he know? But, you know, my good friend Bernie Mullen had done it years before at the pirates and had gone through the same thing. So I had a good friend and mentor that had, done the same path as I did. He just elected to stay in the industry and I returned to academia. But it was, you know, it was great. I mean, I worked on some projects. I helped create Team Bo, which is the, still the model team services organization in pro sports. We did the NBA job fair, which I thought was a real valuable experience trying to get a lot of young people in the NBA and help teams hire the right people. You know, just all-star weekend. I, I was sitting there last night And they were showing those clips of, during the dunk contest, they were showing clips of the past dunk contest. And I remember the first NBA All-Star game I went to was the Vince Carter dunk in Oakland, California. And I was sitting right on the baseline looking straight across at him. So, you know, I had a lot of good memories, met a lot of great people, still talked to a lot of those people. You know, in my consulting business, I have three NBA teams on my client list still. So um, it just, it was a, a profoundly changing experience because when I went back to the classroom, the students understood that I had done this, that I wasn't just somebody that had been in the, in my office in an academic tower, that I had done what I was talking about. And I think that that gave me a lot of credibility with them and they would listen intently and want to know the things that I saw. And so that I got to do a lot of, development with them telling them what was out there and then the other bonus was that since i had been out there i understood what the jobs were that they were applying for and i was able to help steer people into you know the right jobs and introduce them to people and help them get some get some jobs so i felt really good about that but the nba was a great experience i um, wouldn't trade it for anything when commissioner stern died it was one of the saddest days of my life he became a good friend and i used to go see him twice a year whenever i'd go to new york and I would, you know, Horatio just tell you this little story. He loved cookies. He loves sweets. And so every time I went to New York, I would have ordered cookies on Golden Belly or somewhere that had the best cookies, the best chocolate chip cookies or whatever. Or I'd bring him cookies from Savannah and from Dallas and the West Coast. And we always would sit down when I came and he would tear into the cookies and we'd have cookies and milk for half an hour, an hour. And it just, that experience was priceless.
0: I know you've cited David Stern as a big influence in your professional life, personal life. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Like, here's the thing, like from my relationship with you, right? And then Dr. Lapjik, like you guys were the bosses, right? And it, it, you guys drove the program. I have a hard time seeing you <laughs> taking orders from another guy,
1: you know? <laughs> Trust me,
0: when he barked,
1: I submitted. When yeah. he yelled, jump, I jumped. I don't know what his ratio It's One of those guys just he, he had that command. And, you know, but I respected him, you know, I feared him, you know, because that was what he wanted. He knew your buttons. He'd push your buttons. I'll tell you a story ratio. He loved The Sopranos. It was his favorite TV show. OK, I think sometimes he thought he was Tony Soprano. <laughs> if your phone rang between 10 and 1030 on a Sunday night after The Sopranos, it meant you were in trouble, that you had done something wrong. So my phone only rang once. And it was like uh, I answered the phone. And he goes, "Bill." I said, "Yes." He goes, "David." I go, "Hey, David, how are you?" He goes, "Well, the real question is, how are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm great, David." He said, "You have a nice weekend," and I said, "Yes." He goes, "Well, good because you ruined my weekend." And then he went on to tell me what I'd done that ruined his weekend. And ratio for the next the next two years, whenever I would watch The Sopranos, I would actually sit and tremble until ten thirty hoping I wasn't going to get a call, but yeah. it was his way. Yeah. It was his way of, you know, making sure you understood the consequences of your action and how important your role was and, you know, what he expected of you. And so, like I said, I only got
0: that one call. Once Thank God. Once 1030 rolled around and knew you were in the clear.
1: Yeah. But it still took me till about 11 before I was relaxed enough to go to sleep. It was like, 10 to 10.30 was suspense. 10.30 to 11 was like cool down after a workout. <laughs> Get your heart rate back down. I love the guy because he was uh, very visionary. And he was very intuitive about marketing. And people would say, why don't you have a chief marketing officer? And his response was always, I am the chief marketing officer. And then, you know, you couldn't argue with him. I mean, he'd, he'd have an idea and he was usually right where he had an intuition. I do remember when variable pricing came in and we had to have that talk with him because he was not a fan of variable pricing at first. And his response was, you mean to tell me that not all of my games are equal? And I said, yes, not all of your games are equal. And he didn't want to hear that. I said, okay, look at it this way. Some of your games are worth more than others. So don't look at it that some, some aren't very good. Look at it that some have a higher marquee value than others like a Lakers Knicks game in New York city. That's a really high label game, right? Or if Michael Jordan's coming into town, that's a high label game. But if you've got then like the Atlanta Hawks and the Utah jazz on a Monday night in Atlanta, that's not a marquee game. And you have to, you have to live with that. And I'm saying the Atlanta Hawks and Utah jazz of that time period, which was the early two thousands, you know? And, And so we moved, we made, we made progress we did different things, but, he, he liked to experiment after I found that out after a while. And sometimes he would bait you just to make sure, you know, he was an attorney. And so one time I went in with an idea and he just ripped it apart. But I really firmly believed in it. I go, okay, David, if you don't believe in it, that's fine. I said, I'm, I'm going to keep working on this till I get you to agree. And I he was ready to storm out of his office because I was kind of mad. He goes, whoa, 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 wait. I just wanted to see how committed you were to your idea. So there was always a little bit of testing going on with that.
0: You always hear that a little bit, that uh, a lot of the great leaders, right, or a lot of the, the influential people, they they kind of play head, my games a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Like, you remember when the NBA dress code came into play? Yeah, yeah. The... Okay, well, here's how that started. He decided he's going to have a dress code. And people said, what's the dress code going to be? And he had a strategy and he said, "Ah, I don't know. It could be blazers. It could be shirts and ties, could be suits, could be business casual. He goes, "Ah, I don't know. And he just kind of floated that out there. And he let the players react to that and come back to him with suggestions. And so when he finally released the dress code, it was something that had been fermented and cooked by the players and by the media and everybody else. So then he just released what he decided was fair. And he didn't ah. come right out with an edict and say, it's going to be this. He knew better than that. He knew this was going to be a sensitive area, and he let it go. We let people percolate on it, make it seem like it was their idea. That is so
0: interesting because that was a big deal when it came out.
1: I was at a game the other night in Orlando, and folks was on the bench, and he was dressed, and I turned to the guy I was with, and I said, that would have never gone under David Stern. He would have never let that outfit go. And I still think about things that, you know, and I'd say David would have done this, or David would have done that. It just that you know, it was a joy in my life ratio, and it changed me, and it really gave me a brand that I didn't have before. It gave me a a stature in the industry having worked for him.
0: Let's talk about like um, you mentioned your consulting agency, mm-hmm. Bill Sutton Associates, and you still go out on the road, yeah. and you 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 said you still have three NBA teams on, yeah. on on your on your deck. You know, what is it like to go to these teams and see the fascinating thing is. What do you see about them? Because you write so much about the way things could be and even should be, right? Like innovation, Mm -hmm. doing things differently, uh, that the sports industry is slow to change. What are some things that they're they're doing really well? And what are some things that still frustrate you about uh, when you're doing the consulting?
1: Well, you know what? COVID was interesting because I wasn't on the road for two years. So I did my first trips in January. I went to Phoenix and I went to Sporting Kansas City. And then this week, I was going to go to, to uh, San Diego, but I did it by Zoom instead. And next month, I'm going out to the 49ers. But if you've seen some of my SBJ columns lately, I've been on a, a real kick. And I'm going to present the National Sports Forum in a couple of weeks about that we're out of touch with the young people that want to work in the industry. We haven't evolved. We haven't evolved in terms of salaries. We have definitely not involved in terms of benefit. I wrote a column ratio taking Maslow's hierarchy, and I said, you know, Maslow's hierarchy in 2020 looks a lot different than it did when he wrote it. And I said, if you look at it, if food, clothing, shelter was the bottom of the pyramid. Well, if you look at that now in 2022, that bottom of Maslow's pyramid would be food, clothing, shelter, insurance, cell phone, student loans, health insurance. Those would be all the things. And the next level would be child care. I mean, yeah. it'd be things that you would – you because can, you can't do anything until you address those needs. And so I've been telling people, I said, unfortunately, when we hire people in the industry, there's too much months left at the end of their money. And it makes it really difficult. So I'm real proud that the Timberwolves have just announced a program where their minimum wage for the Timberwolves is that nobody the Timberwolves will make less than $50,000. Wow. Okay. The Cavaliers had gone with two days remote, three days in the office. And I've got another team, I don't want to name them because it's hush-hush right now, who's working on creating a care center wow. for employees. And so I had been in Minnesota, I, I'm sorry, I'd been in Seattle and working on this grad program at the University of Seattle. And I went to this place called Dick's drive really famous. It's like the original McDonald's kind of a concept. There's a sign in the window. an hour, full paid medical, full paid dental, $6,000 bonus a year to be used for student loans, daycare, or tuition. That's a hamburger joint. (laughs) So you can make more at a hamburger joint than you can for the Seattle Mariners or whoever in an entry level job. And you got to think about it. You know, what are they doing? They're saying that daycare and student loans and tuition are important benefits. There's some teams that offer tuition. I was shocked to find out not every team offered maternity benefits. I knew they didn't all offer paternity, but I just assumed everything did maternity benefits. So I'm on a crusade now. If we really want to attract the best and the brightest, and more importantly, retain the best and the brightest, we've devolved in the way we look at things. Horatio, you know, we we have kids, we hire them as salespeople. We put them in a, a room with 10 landlines and tell them to get on the phone and call people. What year is this? You know, who has a landline? Who answers a phone? I said, it's just crazy. I said, give everybody a cell phone. And the other thing is, you should be selling using video and other techniques, not just auditory. You know, let me see what the experience is. So I'm trying to drag people with me into 2022. And it's hard for a lot of people because that's not the world they grew up in. And so they got promoted for doing things a certain way. And they could evaluate people a certain way based upon what they expected of them, and they just needed to change. And it's hard; change is
0: always hard. But I'm hoping that you know I'm going to be able to drag people along. Are you seeing that? You know, because at least when I was coming up, you know, working in the sports industry, you, and the common uh, refrain was, you know, you got 30 people knocking down the door for that one job. So it's almost like it's a, a a privilege to be working for X, X, Y, and Z teams. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that that's not the case anymore?
1: Not the case. There's a real labor crisis because, you know, with COVID, again, do people want to be in the office five days a week? No. Do they want to work nights and weekends? No. And a lot of people that were working in the industry, got to work remotely. They spent time with their children. They get to tuck their children into bed. They got to take them to school. They got to have dinner with them. Things they get to coach, their little league teams, all those things, We don't just all of a sudden roll the carpet back and say, okay, you can't do that anymore. No, you've now rediscovered that those things are important to you, that those things are fun for you and you want to continue to do them. So you can't roll it back. And so you've got to adjust. It's nothing like it. In fact, I saw a 60 Minutes report a couple weeks ago that said in 2019, six out of every 75 jobs was had an opportunity to work remotely now it's
0: 67 out of 75 the world has changed the sport industry has to change quicker. even i will say from 10 years ago i mean the, the idea of this remote work was kind of controversial right these ideas of, yeah you know, very much so productivity and people are more productive whatever so two things from that um the first thing is would you say then that it's as easy as ever then to get a job in the sports industry right now because of the need you know? Yes,
1: I would tell you it's easier now than it's been in your lifetime.
0: That's kind of mind blowing because I just just when I me you know, coming up through college and everything, you weren't told that the second thing is, it sounds like you're gaining traction, like you've, you've kind of made a call, you know, to action. And it's it, it seems like, you know, that there are people heeding that call.
1: There are some people heeding the There's call. Uh, I've gotten some, you know, a a Madcore. you know, I wrote it in SBJ and then Abe did a a podcast with me on it. And we talked about it, and we gotten a lot of positive reaction from it. And some people that I thought couldn't change have changed, and some people that I knew needed to change haven't changed. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I've had, you know, as a consultant, you know, you always have ideas. You always have things you want to do, right? And things you think somebody should do. Well, you know, as a consultant, that's one of the biggest lessons you have to learn is all you can do is offer the idea and explain why it's a good idea and explain the benefits of the idea, but you're not there to do it. You're not, you know, it's not, doesn't fall on you. So sometimes they just don't, they don't see it. They don't fall through. With it. You want me to tell you my most fun story as a consultant? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm walking through San Diego one morning. I'm going, I get up early, go ahead, have breakfast, and I'm walking up. You know, about a good, you know, three quarters of a mile to the restaurant I wanted to go to. And I see all these people out walking in their dogs. And I'm just saying, damn, I've never seen so many dogs in one city in my life. This has to be the most dogs I've ever seen. So this just stays with me. And I go into the Padres' offices that day. And I go, you guys need to sell season tickets to dogs. And they look at me like, you are out of your mind. And I go, hey, hear me on this. I said, you know, I have a dog. And I said, when I come home from work, I take the dog for a walk. I feed the dog. And then I'm hesitant to go out again because I've left the dog alone all day. They hold that thought. And I said, remember when Michael Vick was in dog fighting? You remember how long it took PETA to shut down Michael Vick and in, in the NFL to shut it down? Less than a day. There was no innocent until proven guilty. It was guilty. Mm -hmm. that same day so these people are powerful i said the third thing i said you play in petco park i said how logical is this for you and i was thinking they had this park within a park at petco park i don't know if you've ever seen it or not but there's during the day the park is open not the baseball part of the park but the the footprint Mm. and there's a little park in there and a little knoll and you could sit outside on a blanket and everything so i was thinking hmm You could just bring your dog and sit on a blanket here it would be great to watch a game and so we started kicking it around and they went back to petco and they decided for a trial basis they would create eight dog suites all right under the scoreboard and a dog suite was astroturf fencing on three sides an umbrella a dog water bowl four chairs and you can have two dogs in your dog suite. They roll it out in July. They sell it out in ten days for the rest of the season. And they got people coming from the Giants from San Francisco who are going to bring their dog down on vacation out go to the, go to the game with Padres, Because they can bring their dog to the game. Then Petco puts a certified dog trainer out in the out in the area to be, to, to maintain order out there. And if you want to go to the bathroom, the dog trainer will sit with your dog. Or if you want your dog to go to the bathroom, you don't want to leave. He'll take the dog out to go to the bathroom. But there's also a display of all these Petco products and a couple seminars on dog training. So it's a beautiful thing. Then he expanded it to you can bring your dog now every game, Petco Park. It's sweet okay. or no sweet.
0: That's a, a sponsorship activation just waiting to happen right there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was perfect. The funniest thing is I write this press
1: release to try and sell, I'm still trying to sell the idea before it gets approved. And I write it like I'm a dog and I write it like I'm Rex I'm the Labrador trigger. I said, you know, Mary's my pet owner. Mary and I love the Padres. Mary comes home from work. We go for a walk. We come back and eat and we sit down and watch the Padre games, but Mary's tired. She falls asleep. I'm alone again. So I want to be able to buy a season tickets and take Mary to the Padres games. I'll get an extra walk out of it. And maybe they have dog ice cream at the game. And Mary and I can watch the game together and go <laughs> And that's just the way I think about it, you know, because I had a dog. If I didn't have a dog, I'd probably never think of this, but I just put myself in that position saying, but I go to more games if I could bring my dog. And the answer is yes. That's all it was.
0: I love that, that, uh, trading of ideas, thoughts, and putting yourself out there and being like, I think this is going to work. When we talked earlier, you said that, uh, you, you had a webinar this morning, um, and you're starting another uh-huh. program, Mumbai University?
1: It's called Geo Institute in Mumbai, and it was ah. a webinar on my view of the sports world in the year 2030. The funny thing fun. is, Horatio, I've heard about virtual reality for years, right? <laughs> so, But we've always had visions of what virtual reality is. So in the presentation, I took a clip from Michael Crichton novel, Disclosure, which was a movie with Michael Douglas and Demi Moore from 1984. And it's the first time I ever saw a view of virtual reality. Then I took a clip from Ready Player One, and I showed that clip. And then finally, I showed Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse. And I said, okay, here you go. It still isn't any of these things yet, but it could be. And it might be, and it should be. And let's talk about this. What it would do for sport? And then I've always said, you know, I showed a picture of SoFi Stadium because they just played the Super Bowl there, and it said it's seventy thousand seats. Do we think in twenty thirty we're going to need a seventy thousand seat stadium? What if we have fifty million people with virtual season tickets, and they sit at home in their metaverse with their avatars, friends, and they watch the game from home? And I said, do you need a do you need a seventy thousand seat stadium?
0: Probably not. And, and what if every seat is at the 50-yard line, right? I'm just I'm just every saying. Every seat's at the 50-yard line, and
1: then I, for an extra premium, I'll give you a view from the quarterback's helmet or the <laughs> wide receiver. I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah. I used a quote today. You know, there's a, there's a George Bernard Shaw quote that Robert Kennedy said, and I always quote it as Robert Kennedy because I heard Robert Kennedy say it when I was 17 years old, and it's affected me ever since. And the quote was, Some men see things as they are and ask why I dream of things that never were and ask why not. Mm. And I love that quote. I love that quote. And that's kind of where I am. I mean, why, why not? I mean, I'm a why not person to begin with, but you know, when we say these things, you know, just like, you know, I I end up telling my clients right now that are doing certain things that I'm, I'm critical of. I say, Hey, it's not 2019 anymore. COVID has changed all the rules. I said, there aren't any rules. We have to evolve and we have to grow. We have to develop. We have to envision things. I mean, the two most confusing things on the planet right now are NFTs and cryptocurrency. Because nobody, well, I can't say nobody. The vast majority of us don't understand what they are or why they're important. And I go back to the 80s when Apple was introduced and people were buying Apple stock like crazy. And people would say, why? And he goes, I don't know. I just think this is going to be big. Nobody knew, you know, personal computing, where that was going to go and how it was going to be. And then they learned to digitize music and they changed the whole way you consume music. You've got to be open to what could be, not what should be. What could be is a a different category. It, It just lets you be open to possibilities. And I think, you know, in my lifetime, I always tell people, you know, look at as many possibilities as you can, and then try and convert some of those into probabilities. And that'll be that's a good good learning exercise for you. It's a good way to, to view the view of life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to reading another um, sports business journal article of yours talking about that. I mean, that's a the metaverse, right? The automated yeah. reality, uh, NFTs, like that that's what's happening now i mean right so what's happening now and if, if you're not if you're not adapting that into your program somehow or you're not sort of looking for ways to incorporate that uh into your thing like you're missing out right like i mean I, I thought about incentivizing season ticket holders with nfts right something as simple as that the nft having certain privileges i mean you could you could build on this stuff forever and ever but you're just taking you know and some nfts that haven't been launched yet like the michael jordan
1: nfts i think those will those will draw an unbelievable amount of attention and generate an unbelievable amount of revenue. I've got a friend in Italy right now that has 7,000 pieces of video photographs and recordings that the NBA is trying to buy from him. And we had a conversation today. He said, I know the NBA wants to buy these and and cash in on them and and make money on these things. I said, sure. And he goes, well, I have a price in mind. If it's not this price, I'm not going to sell. I said, sure. I said, you probably get some things that are really rare. You could make your own NFTs and put those out on the market, and probably make more than you're asking for from the NBA. Yeah, but it's a question: Do you want? Do, do people understand what it is? Do they understand? I mean, people have enough time understanding a reverse mortgage, let alone crypto and NFTs. I explained it as well as I could explain it today. An NFT, you know. The great thing about NFTs is it's digital. You can move it around and it's based on crypto. So you could sell it and you can't counterfeit it. You can't alter it. So, you know, it's blockchain has created something that's, you know, non-fungible, as they say. That's the, yep. that's the N and the F. So I just think that, you know, you have to understand these things regardless of whether or not you want to use them or not. But you need to understand it. What video does the NBA want to buy? Is it Jordan? No, no, no. It's it's this this gentleman from Italy that was a reporter. And he would cover he covered the NBA for years and years and years from six and seventies. He's oh. got Kareem Abdul Jabbar in a jersey nobody's ever seen him in. I mean, he's got some really rare collectibles. Everything, okay. photographs, videos. It's amazing what he has. So we'll see.
0: So you have networks. You you know people mm-hmm. for decades. You know, you have a bunch of students that you've mentored and placed in different places, uh, probably the world over. I pride myself
1: on staying connected to people. They're important to me. So this past year, I played in a fantasy football league, all right, with students I had in 1982, 83, and 84. To me, that's incredible. I talk to these people all the time. And we have evolved. We go from student to alumni to friend Mm -hmm. to sometimes employer. Yeah, I've worked for some of these people before as a consultant. So, I mean, relationships are the, are the heart of who I am, and I think they should be for everybody. I mean, you know, your relationships are your currency It's who you are, and it's not just talk to somebody when you need something, talk to somebody when you just want to talk to them. Yeah. You know, every Sunday night I do a Zoom call with one guy I went to grade school with and three guys I went to grade school, one guy I went to grade school in high school with and three other guys I went to high school with. We do a Zoom call every Sunday night at 7.30. If it's important to you, you'll make the time. And that's what it is about a network. And I mean, you know, I have people call me up and say, hey, I hired one of your students. Do you have anybody else? Do you have anybody else you'd recommend? And so, you know, those, those relationships are really important. I miss my David Stern relationship. And I haven't really replaced that one.
0: You mentioned that. Is that, is that sort of like someone that you can learn more from? Uh, I can learn from anybody.
1: I learned from just, you know, I'll talk to people that I am doing something I don't know about. I want to find out about it. I'm curious about it. I think being intellectually curious is one of my, one of my passions, one of my drivers. You know, I want to know things. I mean, my youngest son, Dan, works for Riot Games, Mm -hmm. which is League of Legends. And so, you know, when when he, and he was involved in the Arcane project on Netflix. So when that came out, I mean, I'd never played League of Legends in my life, but I watched Arcane and I was curious about what a graphic novel would look like in animated form. And I got to see it and, you know, I was interested. Am I going to take up playing League of Legends? No, but I can appreciate the depth and the challenges of it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. When you're exposed to these different things, um, you know, you just learn more about other people as well. What are people in your network saying, like, in terms of, like, the sports industry post-pandemic? Like you you said, things are different now. What feedback are they giving you?
1: The buzz in my network right now is we're all disgusted with baseball. And that, uh, you know, you can't get a deal done because you're so adversarial. I mean, you're adversarial before you would sit down and negotiate. You're already adversarial. You're adversarial in the meeting, whereas, you know, I'm an NBA guy. And the players in the league are partners and they share the revenue. And that seems to make for a very cooperative way to play, play the game, to, to, to move forward. It's visionary, you know, and the NBA can concentrate on being in 200 different countries and MLB can't get out of its own way. Yeah. I look at the NCAA, it's a mess. I look at NIL, and the transfer portal when you put those two things together and everything that was illegal for the last 50 years is now legit <laughs> i give you a car and have you come down the dealership and sign autographs and pay you to do that are you kidding me but that's because of bad leadership i think that uh, ncaa leadership is some of the worst leadership i've ever seen
0: yeah what what are your you know kind of quick thoughts on the nil like you know because you know you had you had situations where for example you know, a kid might have a championship ring or or some mm-hmm. new stuff, and and they couldn't, you know, and it's theirs. It's their, it's their property. Yeah. It's their stuff, and it was illegal for them to sell it, right? And and um, right. I just remember that happening in Ohio State. That was a big deal. And yeah. I was like, you know, why is it illegal for a kid to make money off of stuff that he owns? That stuff didn't make sense to me.
1: No, I mean, I, I agree with the concept that these athlete students should have a right to profit from their work. Mm-hmm. and they generate a lot of money, and they should share in that money. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, where is this going to stop? And I, and I wrote a column on this in, in SBJ, and I said, the recruiting visit of the future is going to be a coach getting on a plane with a car dealer, an apartment complex owner, a couple restaurant guys, and a financial advisor, and flying to meet a recruit who's going to meet them with his or her agent, to discuss their NIL deals and that's going to be an influence as to where they go. And in that column, Horatio, I said that the two programs I see benefiting the most from NIL deals are UCLA and USC. And I said, because of the entertainment value of LA and everything going on in LA, that that's a market people are going to want to be in because it's a big market and they are getting a lot of alumni and a lot of opportunity to be unique and have their own brand in different ways. So watch watch USA, <laughs> which is already off to a roaring start. Yeah. They got with the coach, coach and the transfer portal. And the transfer portal just, if I'm not making enough money here, I'm going to go somewhere where I'm going to make more money. So maybe people will stay in school longer. Maybe that's going to be the benefit from this if they really are going to school. But if you're transferring three or four times, are you really interested in going to school? It's just a bad thing. It's It's, it's, it's just crazy. It could have been handled much, much better, but the NCAA let it slide. The states jumped on it because they didn't want their universities to be second class. And that's what you have. You got a mess.
0: You got a mess. Yeah. It, it is sort of like a thing that everyone's uh, just kind of, Hey, this is just the way it is now. And you just shrug your shoulders yeah. and you go on and you kind of go on and you kind of that's ignore it. it. Yeah. But it's kind of like who's checking in on this stuff. Let's talk about like, you know, Bill Sutton associates, you, you mentioned that you've mm-hmm. been, been doing that for a while now. Was your way of kind of um, staying in the private industry while you went back to academia at UCF?
1: Now I'm just doing it to, to stay sharp, to stay involved. I do enough that I, I'm happy and I like it. I wouldn't want to do it any more than I'm doing it. I have six clients now in this project in Mumbai, and that's plenty for me.
0: And so this new project in Mumbai, you're looking for an executive director. You said, are you involved with that? Are you going to be doing teaching uh, as well there?
1: I'm probably going to go over there the first year and teach for five weeks to help get the program off the ground. But long term, you know, what my goal is here, Horatio, it's not one of those things that I, I it's on my hit list. You know, if sport is really global, then the people entering the industry need to understand what global means and they need to have a global experience. So like three years ago at USF, we started taking the students abroad for a week when classes were over and we went to London for two years just to get them used to being out of the country. The last year before COVID, we went to London and Barcelona so that they'd have, they'd be out of the country, but then they experienced the language. So that's, you know, one of my thoughts. What I'm looking for with this program in Mumbai is to bring the students from India over to the U S for a semester and let them do an internship in the U S and then go back to India and do another internship. So you do something global, something domestic, and I think that will that will be a great learning experience for them. Like if they're gonna work, do their internship in NBA India, maybe they come over here and they intern for an NBA team and then go to NBA India, or they do a soccer, soccer team or whatever they do. But that's one of my goals. And then hopefully some of the American universities where they would come, we would be able to convince the students there to go to India for a semester. And experience cricket and things they've never seen before you know i tell people it's so much more than language it's culture anybody can learn a language but you got to learn the culture to be able to understand how decisions are made and what's important to people
0: and you're involving everything you're saying international you're involving that uh that practical experience and uh the learning i mean i mean what better way to learn about a different culture or you know sport or than, than going to that place you know how much i'm not a soccer fan right
1: so when we went, I actually went. I took them to see a Man City game one year. They loved it. They left at halftime, but they loved it. But I took them also to see to see Macbeth performed at the Globe Theater because wow. there's things that I want them to see besides sport. I want them to understand, like I said, culture and just understand the whole scope of entertainment.
0: Absolutely. Last question, Doc, and I I, I have to leave you with this. You know what it is? If the Pittsburgh Pirates said. You know, Dr. Sutton, uh, you know, we, we we need help. And I mean, that's probably, that's stating an obvious. Um, we need your expertise. Will you come out of retirement and help us? Um, you know, to be the the, the president of operations, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know that I turned that job down
1: once. I withdrew from the search. I have no qualms about that. But one of my former students is now the general manager of the Pirates. So I'm excited that let me knock on I'm, I've, I've got a wooden desk here so I'm gonna knock on wood and I'm gonna say that I'm hoping against all hope that in 2025 my Pirates will be competitive I don't think they're gonna I think they're gonna be really bad this year maybe as bad as last year which would be hard but I think they could be as bad as last unless they find some pitching but I like some of the young prospects that the general manager is trying to trying to build with. So we'll see. The question becomes, in that market, will that owner keep that talent once it's developed? And thats I'm not optimistic about that. But I'm a romantic. Everybody has their addiction. My addiction is the pirates, as you well know. So I'm planning on... I haven't bought my plane ticket yet for opening day because I'm pessimistic. But I have my tickets for opening day. But uh, its it's a little disappointing. So I've got the Angels as my back. The Angels are my backup team. Mike Trout is the best baseball player I have ever seen. And I've seen Mays, Aaron, Clemente, Robinson. I've seen them all. And I would take Mike Trout.
0: Dr. Sutton, it's always awesome, you know, reconnecting with you. I know we we talked a a few years back when I was looking for some career advice for a minute. And um, I just really appreciate all that. So thanks again, man. Thanks no. for, for sharing all this, all the stories and your, your, your insight.
1: My pleasure, Horatio. I really enjoyed reconnecting with you and I really had a good time conversing with you. I think it was a lot of fun. and brought back some good memories for me and I'll have a smile on my face for the next hour.
0: Same here, doc. You, you have a good night and, uh, just, just really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll reconnect again and I'm looking forward to, to meeting up in New York next year.
1: Absolutely. Take care.
0: Take care, doc. I'm lucky to have the opportunity to meet certain people and Dr. Sutton is one of them. His support and guidance when I was a graduate student at the University of Central Florida was invaluable. And he taught me lessons I carry with me to this day, including professionalism, the importance of innovation, and how to be kind. I appreciate that he is still very much a forward-thinking individual looking to get the sports industry moving when most executives would prefer the status quo. As always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, Let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.